And with that, we will now turn to Ecclesiastes. So if you have a Bible, open it to the book of Ecclesiastes, and I will do the same. We have been in this book now for several weeks, several months, in fact, but we're coming near to the end of our time. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who was the wisest man who lived, not because of his own intellect and his own credit, but because God gifted him riches and wisdom when he was set up as king over Israel. So Solomon writes this book, and this book is an investigation into life. And as we've spent time in Ecclesiastes, we've watched Solomon search high and low to answer life's biggest questions. He's asked why pain and hardship are a part of our daily lives. He's questioned the worth of all the achievements in the world. He's wondered what the impact of his life will be once he's gone and dead. And we're nearing the end of our time in this book. We'll be starting in chapter 11 today. And Solomon is coming to the end of this investigation. As he sought out to ask, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? And why is it so hard to be here? He's coming to the end of this investigation. And in our passage this morning, he presents two of his main findings. After searching high and low, after trying countless things to figure out what what life is about, what the meaning of it all is, he presents two of his main findings this morning in our passage. And his two findings are this. The content of your life is uncertain, but the limit of your life is certain. The content of your life is uncertain, the limit of your life is certain. So before we read this passage, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I ask as we look now to your word that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice louder than our own. I ask that your spirit would speak louder than my own voice on the hearts of the people here in this room, that we might learn more of who you are and what you have done in our world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So finding number one for Solomon is that the content of your life is uncertain. And what, what do I mean by the content of your life? Just simply, it's the things that will happen in your life. The people you'll meet, the places you'll end up, the things you'll be able to do, the job you have, the amount of money you'll end up saving, the adventures you'll be able to go on. All the things that make up your daily life as you look back and and just look at what was my life? What did I do? Who was I? As you look back on that, Solomon reflects that the content of what your life will be is uncertain. Even if you're young and you're planning out a whole life ahead of you, there will be a lot of twists and turns that your life takes that you could never see coming. There will be a lot of unexpected bends in the road. And if you are older and you've lived a lot of your life, you'll be able to look back and recognize there were so many things that happened that I never saw coming. I had all these plans and hopes and dreams that I wanted to achieve, but things just happened in a way that I could have never seen ahead of time. Even if I tried to research and become the smartest person to figure out how my life would unfold, 
it just kind of has a way of doing its own thing outside of what I'm able to control. So the content of your life, who you are and what you'll do, isn't set in stone. It's not something you can sit down and plan ahead of time and play out to perfection. So we'll start in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Solomon says this, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Solomon's looking at life just making a simple observation, you don't know how your life will play out. Will you have a life where things go well and overall you feel successful or satisfied? Maybe. Will you have a life where things go poorly and nothing ever happens like you want it to? Again, maybe. More likely, you'll live a life that's a mixture of both. There will be some victories and some defeats, some occasions for rejoicing and some occasions for weeping. But again, you can try to plan out your life play by play to get to that good life and avoid the bad life. But for all of your planning, things will happen that you never see and your life will play out different from how you imagined it. Maybe you're hoping that if you follow God well enough, you can secure a certain level of comfort. You figure, if, if I just do the right things and kind of show a real fervor and dedication to following God, because we're Christians, that's what we want to do, but we can kind of think, maybe if I do that hard enough, then God will make sure to send more of the good things my way and divert some of the bad things some other way. Maybe I'll kind of earn a, a ticket to a life that's got a lot more of those great joys and a lot smaller of those sorrows. Sometimes we even try to game the system that way and just saying, if I even try to figure out a good way to live, a better way to live, then maybe it will secure that comfort or that security that I'm looking for, kind of insulate me from really any major disasters happening. But the writer of Ecclesiastes looks out at the world and says, you don't have the first clue what your life will hold. The beginning of this passage, it says, cast your bread on the waters and it will come back to you. It's a tricky proverb. In fact, there's not even a whole lot of agreement of what exactly it means, this proverb of casting out your bread and letting the waters bring it back. But one application that's the same, no matter how you try to interpret this, is that you can make the best effort to invest well with your money or with your time and effort in something or someone and you might see return from that, but it won't be because of what you've done. It'll just be the way that the current of the water brings that bread back. And so there's some effort that you're expending to invest into something, but the return that you see isn't really because of the effort you expended. If you give to some great cause, it's not because of your generosity that something will be successful or fail. Things might succeed or fail 
because of things that are outside of your control. We see that the world is unpredictable. You don't know what disaster might be waiting around the corner. In verse 2, he mentions that we don't know what disaster might rain down. So we see that in our world, how unpredictable everything can be. How things can be going along just all well and good. And all it takes is a car accident to upend every part of your life. Or to have a loved one suffer a brain aneurysm and, and be gone in a matter of minutes. Things that you could never see coming, but completely change the direction of your life. Completely change how you live. And it's, it's a certainty that the world is uncertain. That the world is unpredictable. Because the world is broken and sinful. So things don't always turn out the best way. Things don't always turn out the right way. Oftentimes, things go wrong. Things break. So the writer looks out and says, this world is unpredictable. We can try to invest well. We can try to spend our time on things that are meaningful. And maybe we'll see good return from that. Maybe we won't. Because we can't always see what will happen. If we look further in verse 3, the clouds have rain, it will rain. If the clouds are ready to rain, it's going to rain whether you want it to or not. If the tree falls, it's going to fall in a certain direction. And whatever direction it picks, that's the way it's going to fall. Because the world is outside of your control. And so we don't have a control whether or not those clouds in the sky are going to bring the rain that we would like them to. Some of us probably felt that a little bit in June as the yards became less green and more brown. Things were dying and we were just hoping to get some rain to reinvigorate the yard. But for all the hoping in the world, it wasn't going to bring any rain to the yard if the clouds weren't going to release rain. Likewise, he gives this illustration of a tree in the forest. If it's going to fall down, it's not going to ask you first which way it should fall down. When things happen in the world, they don't always stop to ask your opinion. They don't ask you which you would prefer. Should I fall to the north or south, the east or west? Things will take place outside of your control, and it might be in a manner that you don't prefer. So maybe you've been saving 20, 30, 40 years, but your retirement account just hasn't grown like you wished it would have. Maybe after trying every parenting trip, trip, tip and trick you can think of, you still have children who live in self-destructive ways. And you think, is there something else that I can do to improve the situation? Maybe you have a relationship or a friendship that's severed, and you're, and you're distant with a person, and you think, what can I do to try to remedy this situation? You can try everything in the world, but still end up with a severed and distant relationship. Because there are things in this world outside of your control. There are circumstances that exist outside of your control. And there are people that exist outside of your control. And so life can't always play out the way you want it to. So again, the content of your life is uncertain. And we oftentimes try to trick ourselves into thinking that we can know how our life will play out. We can be very sure that we have figured out 
how to live the right way, how to do the right things to get the result we want to see. And sometimes we'll have success at that, which then just tricks us into thinking we really did crack the secret of a good life. That it was because of whatever effort or knowledge we used to get a better life, that's why things worked out all the way they should have. But we ignore the fact that there were so many factors that we could have never foreseen. There were so many things outside of our control, and they all lined up the right way in one instance to get us the result we wanted. Verse 4 and 5, the writer of Ecclesiastes makes this more personal. He says in verse 4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. At the beginning of the passage, he was really looking at circumstances of the world, things out in the world that are beyond our control. But then he makes it a lot more personal in verses 4 and 5. And in 5 in particular, the writer of Ecclesiastes points out that you don't even know how exactly you became a human who was alive with a life and a soul. We might understand something about life. Maybe we can even describe biologically how something becomes alive. But really, at the end of the day, we have no idea how we became who we were, who we are with our personality and with the spirit that's inside of us. Because that wasn't anything we did. That wasn't anything our parents did. That was a work of God alone to take a human, give the human a soul, and make them an eternal being. You don't have the first clue how that happened in your own life which is the very beginning and foundation of who you are. So if, if you don't have knowledge about that of yourself, then don't begin to think you have knowledge about everything else in the world because you don't even know your own beginnings and how exactly God made you alive with a spirit and a soul. And so don't presume that you know what all the world has. Our knowledge of this world and of our very own life is limited and incomplete at best. So how could we assume to understand a knowledge of the world and the universe like God does? So again, this is finding number one from Solomon. The content of your life is uncertain. And we have to understand this and we have to sit in this and really embrace this finding to understand Solomon's conclusion. Because if we think that we know what life holds for us, then a couple of things happen. One, we grow proud. Because we think we've figured it out and we've cracked the case. But two, we then become less dependent on God. Because life suddenly becomes more about us just sitting down to figure out what we ought to do and who we ought to be, and a lot less about looking to God to tell us what we should do and who we ought to be. Because we presume to have the same level of knowledge that God does about ourselves in the world around us, and so then we become the experts on how we ought to live. And so if something seems good to us, because we're the experts in what the good life is, then we can go chase after that thing. If some prohibition from God seems to not be a good thing, 
We try to make ourselves the expert and say, that's a prohibition that I can ignore from God because I actually have better knowledge of who I am and I have better knowledge of how this world works than he does. So I'm going to choose my own path. So Solomon lays out the case again. You don't know what your very own life holds. You don't even know your own beginning. Don't presume to know this world. Don't think you're the expert. The psalmist in Psalm 139 offers this reflection to God. Starting in verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This almost understands who God is in contrast to who we are. God in his infinite sovereignty in contrast to our finite humanness. We see that the world is an unpredictable place that we can't know everything about. The psalmist looks to God and says, before I've even lived a single day, you have every day written down, you know what will happen in my life. God isn't surprised by any of the twists and turns in our life or really of anything that's happened in the world or the universe. Everything that surprises, surprises us and shocks us is something that God has already known about. Because before we were even born and had spent our first day on this planet as a baby crying, God had already seen the scope of our entire life and known what every last day of our life would hold. The world is outside of our control, but God is the one who can take a child and form them in the womb. Who can take what is unseen and and work it together into the created order that he has destined to where nothing is outside of his control every factor and every element is something that he has authority and power over so where our control is limited at best and usually an illusion god has complete control over every last inch of our universe and where our knowledge is limited of this world of our very own life God's eyes see what is even unformed and yet to be. He has seen every second of history. He knows everything that's going on in this instant. And he knows everything that will happen into the future. There's something like 7 or 8 billion people on this planet. And all of us are thinking something right now. Some of us are sleeping There's dreams happening. Some of us are sitting in this room thinking about how warm it is. All seven billion of us are thinking something, and God knows what every single one of us is thinking in this moment. And he knows what we thought in the previous moment, and he knows what we're going to think in the next moment, and tomorrow, and the next day. Because he sees everything. So we have to understand that When it comes to life, we as humans 
are people who don't even understand what our own lives hold and what we'll come across in this world. We have to understand who God is in contrast to that. He's not like us in that way. And so what do we do in light of this uncertainty? Solomon begins to give an answer in verse 6. It says this, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. His first encouragement to us is that when you see your life and you understand how unpredictable things can be, live prudently. Just begin by living prudently. It doesn't petrify you into this fear of, I don't know what to do because the world is unpredictable. Things are outside of my control. I'll just, I just won't do anything. Instead, he says, if you're a farmer, what do you do? You go out and you plant your fields. Maybe you should plant twice because you don't know whether there will be a good rain or a bad rain. You don't know whether the morning crop will be the one that succeeds or whether it will be the crop you sow in the evening. So he encourages a prudent living. Continue living using what wisdom and discernment God has given you, but understand what's beyond your control. Understand what is beyond your knowledge and don't pretend to have more insight than you really do. So the content of our life is uncertain, but God has given us a level of wisdom and discernment that we can use to live our lives. And so he would encourage us, Solomon would encourage us, begin by just living prudently, humbly, understanding your own limitation. But it's here that then he presents his second finding that comes in light of knowing our own limitation. He first tells us what we don't know, and that is what the world has, what the world holds, and what our life will be. What we don't know is what the content of our life will be, but what we do know is this, finding number two, the limit of our life is certain. Look at Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. While we do not know what our life will hold, the one great certainty that we have is that our life will end. We often want to ignore death. We put it out of our minds And in society, we want to take death as a whole and and place it in some location far off from what we have to think about in our daily living. But spend a moment here and now considering your own life. Let the reality of your own impending death help frame how you live now. Light is sweet, but the days of darkness are many. There's a sweetness in this life now, but it is followed by death. The certainty of death has been chasing us throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. At times, the writer has despaired in this certainty, saying, no matter what I do, it seems to be meaningless because it all ends in death. 
And not only death, but it seems that for many, you die and then eventually you're forgotten. So even the things you achieve here don't seem to outlive you much longer. And so we all just die and are forgotten. So at some points he's despaired, but here at this juncture, the certainty of death becomes not an occasion for sadness, but an occasion for rejoicing. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. You can be certain that your life is limited. That your body is aging, it's breaking down. That whether through age or illness or injury, you will succumb to death. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, humanity has been guaranteed a physical death. And as sinners who have joined in the sin that Adam and Eve first perpetrated, we too are guaranteed a physical death. So let that frame your life now. Understand how limited your existence is in this world. But instead of leading to despair, that can lead us to rejoicing. That's the great puzzle of Christianity. That one of the things we hold most dear is the certainty of death. That you will die, and in fact, you deserve death because of your sin. And that even though Christ went to a cross and he died and there's forgiveness, it seems right now that death is still winning because we still physically die. But in that death, we do not see despair and defeat. In that death, we can see a victory and rejoice. It's a certainty that we have through the cross of Christ that even though death still seems to rule the day, we understand it will not have the last word. So here now, what does it look like to rejoice in the life that God has given? The writer of Ecclesiastes says, walk in the ways of your heart. Which is not to say a lifestyle of unchecked hedonism, chasing after whatever it is that you think will make you happy. Because the writer tried that earlier in chapter 2. He he tried to chase after anything. Food, drink, parties, sex, whatever it was, he tried it to make himself happy. He realized that wasn't it. Instead, he says, walk in the way of your heart with the knowledge that God will judge. That is to say, there's, there's a way to walk in what delights your heart and satisfies your eyes while being aware of God's presence. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so as you walk in the way of your heart and in what pleases your eyes, it's not that you find any object or anything that will please your heart and your eyes. You understand what will truly please your heart and your eyes, and you chase after that. So let friendship with God, let fellowship with the creator of the universe become your highest satisfaction in life. May the sweetest thing to your life be knowing God and his goodness. 
so that as you walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, you walk in a way that pursues God. Because we know that God will bring us into judgment. That is to say that there is a right way to walk and there is a wrong way to walk. And so we, we walk to enjoy God because he has given us life now. He has given us breath now. But then he has also given other gifts. So sometimes he'll give you the gift of family. Sometimes he'll give you the gift of a job that you enjoy. Sometimes he'll give you the gift of rest and vacation. Sometimes the gift of friendship with others. And when we understand that all these things, like our very own life and breath, are a gift from God, then our life can be about enjoying those gifts so that we might give praise to the one who has gifted us these things. And suddenly every gift and every good thing that we enjoy here in this life becomes an occasion to rejoice in God. Because we know that our life here is limited. We know that death is a certainty. And we understand that God has given us good things in this time. And if you notice, this call to rejoice is given to those who are young. Not because it's not offered to those who are old. But because the young have had less occasion to grow weary from the pains of the world. If you notice in verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Solomon offers to those who are young, saying, understand now the limit of your own life. Understand that it's a breath that God has given you as a gift so that you might rejoice and bring him praise in this moment. Understand that now and rejoice in it. And those who have seen more of life's hardships, it's not that they can't rejoice in God, but there's been more occasion to become cynical. It's become more occasion to grow a little bit weary of what the world has given you. His main imperative is to rejoice in God before the pains of this world prohibit you from rejoicing in anything. And so he speaks to those who are young because he knows that they've got a freshness and an eagerness and a hopefulness about what this life has to offer. For those who are older, they might have a little less optimism about what this world will bring them. A little less inclined to rejoice in God giving them a good life. Again, it's not that if you're older you can't rejoice in this. Just you might have more opportunity to get a little less hopeful. So if you're old, I'll let you determine if that adjective applies to you. If you're old, it's not too late to remember your creator. You might have some calluses and some scars that make you question whether or not he's really good. You might have gone through, through some things in your life that make you really question if this life 
is a moment and an occasion to rejoice. You might have some hardship and some baggage that makes you really wonder if this God who's described in the Bible is as good as he says he is. The good news of the gospel is this. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes, regardless of your age, regardless of whether you're young or old, regardless of your past trespasses, regardless of your current stubbornness, regardless of your occupation or your education, your status, your weakness, your shortcomings, regardless of anything, for anyone who believes you can have eternal life with God. For anyone who trusts in God, you can rejoice in his goodness. So whether you're young or old, the main imperative is this. Rejoice in your God. And don't let the pains of this world prohibit you from rejoicing in anything. Life is momentary and fleeting in the here and now. And that doesn't have to lead us to despair. Rather, it can lead us to understand that this is the moment God has given us to rejoice in him. That he has given us this life, however long it may be, 50, 60, 70, 90, 100 years, is a time that God has given us to see his goodness and rejoice in it. And the reason that we as Christians can rejoice truly and honestly is that we understand that life in this world, though it ends in a physical death, does not eternally end in physical death. That there is waiting for God's people a resurrection from the dead that we can be guaranteed of because Christ our Savior himself was resurrected from the dead as the firstborn of the promise. And so your life here and now is limited, but it is the precursor to an eternal life of rejoicing evermore in God and what he has given us and who he is, or a life that goes on eternally, suffering punishment for its rebellion against that God. So your time here on this earth is short and like a breath. The word that Solomon uses all throughout is vanity, vapor and mist. Your life is short, but it is a precursor to an eternal life of rejoicing or an eternal existence of punishment. So those are the two findings from Ecclesiastes. One, you don't know exactly what your life will hold, good or bad, difficult or easy, but you do know this, your life on this world has a limit you will die. And when you die, if you are clinging to Christ as your Savior, then your death is simply the beginning of an eternal rejoicing in God's goodness in his presence face to face with your Savior. But if you die after this short breath of life, not clinging to Christ, not believing in him as your Savior, and you have an eternal punishment awaiting you. I want to end by speaking to the young and to the old. 
And again, I'll let you determine which group you fall into. To those who are young in the room, maybe you don't share this optimism of youth that Solomon does. Maybe as you look out at life, even in your youth, it already seems to be a difficult and painful thing. And there just seems to be a whole lot more of it left to live. The scripture would offer you this current hope. Even in this life, even with difficulties and pain, there is still much beauty that God has given to be enjoyed. First and foremost, he has given you himself through the cross of Christ, but also through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can have fellowship with God here in this life. There are a future glory waiting us after this life, but there is still grace and glory that God has given in this life to be enjoyed. If you're young and you share the optimism, you say life seems to be easy. There's so many fun things. There's endless possibilities of what to do. Remember that you don't know the content of what your life will hold. And as you chase after whatever it is your heart or your eyes desire, we have to always live in the knowledge that God will judge. And that the pleasures of this moment, if we chase after them for eternal satisfaction, we'll find that the pleasures of this world are just passing displays of vanity. And they're incomparable with experiencing the eternal glory of knowing God. So if you're young, give yourself to knowing God more and more as the one great and true satisfaction of this life. To those in the room who might call themselves old, and you come in and you say, I can resonate with the statement that life is difficult and painful. And for you, talking about the hardships and struggles of life is not an abstract exercise, but rather is just bringing up memories of things you've gone through. And life has seemed to be hard and difficult and painful. We can continue to cling to the future hope that God is delivering a redemption and eternal glory. And that this life really is just a breath compared to an unending glory of living with God. And if you're in this room now and you're old and you say, I don't really see what Solomon's on about. Life has seemed pretty easy for me so far. Things have gone well in my time here on earth. Remember that the achievements of this world will pass away like dust. And you're going to be held accountable for how you lived your life while you were here. And for all of us, I would end by reading again from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Our life here is a breath and a mist, but together with Christ, it is an eternal rejoicing in God's goodness. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that we would see more of your goodness, more of your grace, be visible to us.
we might rejoice, that we might give you the glory, that we might find our satisfaction in you and you alone. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.